0: All right, time to invite the kids to come on up front. Come on up, guys. All right, come on up, guys. Keep finding your way up. Find a spot to sit. All right, keep coming up. Good. All right. So here I asked my son, Kellen, to come up. So Kellen is my son. I'm his dad, right? So that means that I have a level of authority in his life, right? And you you love him. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. I love him too. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Now let's say that I have something I want Kellen to do, okay? So I have some toys here. Some of them are on the floor, right? Let's say those are Kellen's toys, and I want him to pick up the toys. So I tell him, Kellen, pick up the toys, all right? But let's say he doesn't do that. Let's say instead he does the exact opposite, and he takes his whole bin of toys and dumps it out in the middle of the floor. But I had asked him to pick up his toys, right? Would that be a good thing that Kellen did? No, that wouldn't be good. I need to have a talk with your parents, huh? No, if he did that, what would that be called? If I asked him to pick up his toys and instead he did the opposite and dumped them all out on the floor, what would we call that? Disobeying, dishonoring, maybe being rebellious against his dad, right? So that wouldn't be a good thing. He's going against, you're responsible, he's going against something that he was asked to do, that somebody with authority in his life asked him to do. Okay, here, let's leave that. Let's listen, Okay. Now let's say let's think about something else. Let's say God asked Kellen to do something. What if God had given Kellen some instructions for his life and Kellen didn't follow those but he did the exact opposite of what God had asked him to do. Would that be a good thing? No, that wouldn't be either. Okay, thanks you can sit. All right. So now today we're going to read in the Bible about something similar happening. After the flood, we had talked a number of weeks about the flood, right? After the flood, God told the people to spread out and to fill the earth. Now, remember that God has authority over his people who he created, right? So God, the one with authority, told the people to spread out. And so they should be following what he has told them to do. But instead, the people said... We don't want to spread out. We're going to do things our way. Is that a good thing? No, not at all. So do you know what they did? They disobeyed God. They rebelled against God by doing the exact opposite of what he told them to do. So instead of spreading out over all the earth, they stayed in one place. And they built a city for themselves. They ignored what God had told them, and they did things their own way. Now, I wonder, do we do that sometimes? We do, don't we? Sometimes we know what God has told us in his word, the Bible, but we don't like it. And we want to do things our own way, so we do things that way, too. But we want to strive to be people who follow God, Now, even though the people rebelled against God, what God had asked them to do by spreading out, God had a plan. And we're going to hear about what God did in order to accomplish his purpose. God did something in order to get the people to spread out around the world like he wanted them to do. So I'm not going to tell you yet what God did. You're going to have to listen to Pastor Jeremy and see if you can figure it out. Okay? But know this. This is what's important. God will accomplish his purpose. God will accomplish all that he wants to do. So uh, I want you to follow along with Pastor Jeremy and be listening for what God did in order to accomplish what God wanted by spreading the people out all over the earth. All right? So thanks for coming up. You can go back and sit and listen to Pastor Jeremy.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Uh, It's pretty cool. I don't know if you were... I'm sure you were listening when Pastor Jeff was praying that he basically just prayed Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. That was very encouraging. And Miss Marilyn up here playing again. I don't know how many more weeks we have her for, but good. And then yesterday... um, We had one of our members move to Eau Claire, and we had four other of our members load her up, drive her down there, unload her, and come back, and one of them was up here singing this morning. It's pretty cool to see that kind of service, so uh, good work. Keep it up. We are in the book of Genesis. This uh, will be our last in, uh, in Genesis for the time being. We're in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. I had planned just to go through Babel, that's a a, 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 a leaving off point, if you will, in the book. Um, that is, the first section of Genesis concludes with Genesis 11.9, and then it begins kind of the second section after that, focusing on the patriarchs with Abraham, so I had planned to take a break after this. After this, we're going to do a four-part series just kind of on our vision again, and then a three on neighborhood small groups. And then after that, we're going to do, I think it was it four, Jeff, on the little books of the Bible, four or five. I don't remember. Jeff doesn't know. Um, we're going to do the kind of the small books in the New Testament uh, one at a time, um, and then maybe Colossians. So we'll, we'll see where we're going after that. But for this morning, it's Genesis chapter 11, verses one to nine. Um, I think that's on page eight of your Bibles in front of you if you need a Bible. Let me read, and then I want to talk just a little bit about the purpose of preaching in relation to this. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they might not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because the Lord there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we pray that... Um, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, and that you would deliver your word, the power of your spirit to change your people and all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in our text, we have two different sections. The first four verses focus on the the boasting and the big plans that man is making in total opposition to God. Pastor Jeff said it right, that God had told them after the flood to go disperse, fill the earth. And they, knowing that command, knowing God's intent, gather together in one place, lest they be dispersed over the whole face of the earth to build a city and build a tower. The tower here, don't think like skyscraper. Think temple. Uh, This is probably a ziggurat. That is a pyramid-shaped thing with a temple at the top. It's a place of worship. It's a place to get to God. It's a place to reach up to God. And so they want to build their own place and for the sake of their own name. They're, you'll notice in the first four verses, not a mention of God. It's all about them. It's all about their plans. And then in verses 5 to 9, you see God's response. I think there's some humor in verse 5. Um there, it, you know, God dwells on high. Of course, God sees what's going on there. He didn't need to come down, but it's like the thing that they're doing that they think is so big and so great, God has to come down and look at it. It's so small, right? There's a, there's a little irony here. And the Lord had to come down and see the teeny little city and the little tower that the little people who think they're so big are building. Um, and so we see again Uh, the fall of man on display. We look in a mirror as to what we're like and then we see God's response both in judgment and in mercy. God is obviously judging them. He stands opposed to their pride. He stands opposed to them disobeying what he would want. He stands opposed to them making a city for their own name. And so he stops them. Uh, you'll notice there's this juxtap- juxtaposition between the word of man and the word of God. Man boasts and has all these big plans and nothing happens. God says one thing and it happens perfectly. And so God is judging them, but God's also being very merciful here. One of God's mercy in the Bible is to stop us from doing what we think we should do. He restrains their madness. Just think of history of the world. Think of last couple hundred years, what happens when man tries to join together and one person tries to rule them? What always happens? Hundreds of thousands of dead bodies, that's what happens. And so here God is being very merciful to them and not giving them over to their desires. Judgment, ultimate judgment here would have been just to let them have at it. Just give them over to it. But God is very kind and Very merciful. And then we also see, especially in verse 9, where we get all of the nations from, where we get all of the languages from. And so you might notice, if you were tracking with last week, that in verse 1025 it says, To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And so what we're reading here actually took place... um, before it, it's, it's, this isn't chronological in order. And so we're going back, kind of going back and, and showing how all of the world was going to be dispersed. Now this idea of different languages and different nations is carried on through the rest of the Bible. God will choose one nation of one language in order to bring his son, who then in Acts 2 after he's raised from the dead, the disciples will go and God will give them the supernatural ability to speak in all the languages of those who gather to preach the gospel. And all those who are present hearing in these different languages, they respond, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter says, you should repent and believe in the gospel. And so we see here beginning what God will be doing throughout the rest of Scripture which is fulfilling his plan of salvation to bring to himself all nations, all languages. we will end of the Bible. At the end of Revelation, we see God on his throne and all nations, all peoples, all languages bowing before him, singing worthy is the lamb who is slain. Right. And so we see the beginning here of what God will conclude. And so again, we see God's sovereignty, don't we? We see God's power. So that's what's going on in this text. What I want to say is, what do you think the purpose of preaching is? If you were to be asked that, what do you think it is? One of the realities of the purpose of preaching is to get you ready for that day. To, to, to create in your heart a longing to gather before your Savior who is slain and bow the knee and worship him with all heart and full throat. So part of my purpose in preaching is to get you more dissatisfied with life here and now so that you might have a longing and a thirst for life then and there. So one of the things we see going on in this passage is to contrast life among fallen man, what Augustine called the city of man, with life before God, which Augustine called the city of God. There's, there's two worlds going on in this text. There's, there's two cities in complete contrast with each other. You have the city of fallen man doing things according to their own terms, uh, for their own purposes. And then you have God working his will. In Psalm 87, 3, we read, glorious things are spoken of the city of God. In Psalm 48, 1, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised in the city of God. And this city increases the joy of the whole earth. Psalm 48, a little bit later, we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, that he has established it Forever. So God's city is a place of joy. It's a place that brings this joy to the whole earth. It's a place where God's people dwell with God forever. And in Psalm 46, 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Does that sound like our cities today? Does that sound like this earth today? Which one do you want to dwell in? So it's being held up before you in this passage. There is a city of God. There's also a city built by men. What is the city built by men like? Well, you can tell it here. Look at these people. Have you been around people that boast? So full of themselves, they have great plans for you? (laughs) Right? They know what they want from you and they're going to do what they can do to get it out of you. That's what this world is like, isn't it? This world burns up people and uses them. Self-rule, dominate. But in the end, does it ever deliver what it promises? Ever. Ever. GM made a promise to its workers of a pension. (laughs) How's that working out? Right? What does this world promise you? Does it ever deliver? We're in the election season again. They're all boasting of all that they're going to do to make your life perfect here on earth. Will they ever deliver? Can they? What are they trying to get from you? Your vote and your money. It never works, ever. Ever. And so we see here the impact of the fall on our lives. We have a choice. Which city will it be? If you would, keep your finger here and turn towards the back of the Bible to Hebrews. Again, I'm I'm trying to urge you to get a taste for the city to come. The book of Hebrews, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, I'm turning there, is found on about a page 1,000. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For he, this is talking about Abraham, the next person mentioned after Genesis 11, the person that the Bible focuses on, for he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. If you continue on in Hebrews 11, verse 16, talking again of those who died, not receiving all of God's promises. Verse 14, it says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. You see, see what's going on here? If two lands, two cities... They're seeking a better one. They're seeking a further one. But if they had been thinking of the land here and now, they could have returned to it. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18. Starting at verse 18, we come to a, a kingdom, a blazing fire, a darkness, a gloom, the sound of a trumpet. Or, I mean, they came, Israel came, they trembled with fear. But in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Just think about what we come to when we come to Christ. To a city of the living God, to a heavenly Jerusalem that will descend here, we'll see in Revelation, to innumerable angels in feasting clothing, in festive clothing, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, how do you get in there? To Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the question is, are you content with life here? Is this place enough for you? Is your mind just set on more here, more now? Is your heart attached to this, to getting here, what can only be gotten there? what's going on in Genesis chapter 11. This is the decision each of us must face. Are you satisfied? Is your heart content in the city of man? Are you sick of it here? And do you see in the heavenly city the joy, the feasting, the pleasure of seeing the glory of God forever. Which one is it? Which one is it? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's a definition of a Christian, isn't it? Here you have nothing lasting. You have no lasting city, no lasting residence, nothing sure, but you seek. You are in Christ. We seek the city that is to come. That's from Hebrews thirteen fourteen. What preaching exists to do is to help you see the corruption that resides in your own heart the fallenness of this world and long for Christ to come and the city of God to become the, the world here. And so do you. Where is your heart in that? And so that, that's given to help you endure this world. It's given you to have faith to live in this world for God's glory. And not need to make a name for yourself. It's given you so that when you're tempted by the sinful pleasure of this world, you're going in your mind, I have nothing lasting here. I seek a city of my God that is to come. In fact, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 18, we see that this city, Babel, Babylon, is destroyed. It's no more, it's in ruins. There's nothing left. And then right after that in Revelation 21, we see that the city of God descends and God is our God and we are his people and we dwell before him forever and he wipes away every tear from our eyes. The only way in is through Christ. There is no other way. This is one of the things going on here in Genesis chapter 11. They are seeking redemption. These gatherers in the land of Shinar are seeking atonement. They're seeking God. But it's all on their terms. They're the builders. They're the planners. They're the uniters. They're the motivators. And why are they doing it? Let us make a name for ourselves. You might remember in the book of Genesis, names are a big deal. God names Adam. All the animals are paraded in front of Adam and he names them all. Adam names his wife. Names are huge. My grandpa had a nickname for me. I'm not telling you. You'll... Never leave me alone if I do. The last words my dad spoke on earth to me on the phone was he barely uttered my name. Names matter. Names matter. We, as, we, we call ourselves as believers in Jesus after his name, don't we? What's our name? Christian. Christian. And so it's not insignificant here that these people want to make a name for themselves. The Hebrew word for name there is Shem. Remember Shem from last week, right? The descendant of Noah through whom salvation would come. God is naming his heirs. God is Naming his people. And these people say, we're going to make our own Shem. We're we're not satisfied with being named by God. We're not satisfied with God's salvation. We're going to be our own authority. We're going to Shem ourselves. We're going to rule ourselves. You can't do that, can you? How does that work for you when you try to do that? This is really about approval, reputation. These people don't care for God's approval. They don't care for the reputation they have in God. They, they want others to think great of them. Doesn't that motivate much of what you and I do? In one sense, there is a godly way to find the approval of men. Paul writes in Romans fourteen eighteen that we are to serve in such a way that we're acceptable to God and approved by men. So so there is the kind of approval under God of others that is good and godly. We're living for God's glory and obedience to his word. Other believers approve of it. That's a good kind of approval. But we're often seeking the kind of approval that isn't godly. We thirst and hunger for others to think highly of us. We want to appear. We want to appear to be great. I can tell you as pastors, as a pastor, and that is so um, alluring. There isn't a pastor on earth, this one included, who doesn't want you to think that they're the greatest pastor ever walked the face of this earth. Right? The greatest preacher, the greatest counselor, the greatest answer we, we want a reputation of being great. Men often try to seek this kind of reputation by their work right? men are wired outwardly to to seek our significance and our vocation and in in the amount of stuff we can accumulate right? that's why when men are together they don't talk about how the kids are doing they talk about work they talk about stuff about women This isn't true always, but women are often wired relationally, aren't they? Where do you find your significance? Through your relationships. Through how your kids are doing. So men want to talk it up at work and women want to talk it up in the home. Find our significance, our acceptance, our approval, our reputation by how good our kids are. When we're out in public, we've got to make sure that the appearance is better than what it actually is. And we talk about work, we've got to make sure that the appearance, the numbers, are actually better than they are. Right. That's why pastors always ask each other, How big is your church? How many people are coming to your church? Right. Right. Around 300. We want a name for ourselves, don't we? It can be true of church. You want to go to a cool church. You want to go to a growing church. You want to go to a church that has a reputation, not for what God wants as a reputation for, but just a good reputation in the community for doing nice things. But the central truth in Scripture is that all things exist for God's name, don't they? Think of it this way. When you are just enslaved to what others are thinking about you, what does that do to you? When it's so self-focused, what is your life like? Isn't it ang- filled with anxiety, stress? Don't you then get angry at people who are getting in the way of your reputation? Right? When your kid gets out of line, you've got to snap them right back in because somebody's watching Right? When your job performance isn't what it needs to be, you blame the people under you because if they were just doing their job, then you could do your job. Or it's the boss because if he would just listen to me. It's all about reputation. How, how does it work? But, but when you get off of yourself and you focus on the glory of God, when you focus on what God has done for you in Christ, when you focus on the city he's preparing for you to come, isn't that freedom? Isn't that joy then? Isn't that peace? Can't you then love others because it's not about you and your reputation? One of the things that we have to do when we come to Christ is die to our reputation. It's got to be crucified. It matters not how others evaluate us. Because we are approved in Christ. Because we have his righteousness. Because he has said the eternal amen over us in Christ. Because he is not ashamed to be our God and call us by his name. And so we're absolutely free then to serve him according to his word, no matter what others think about us. It just doesn't matter. You don't have to be enslaved to that. And so our worth, our happiness, our acceptance is primarily, ultimately in Jesus. And you don't have to build a temple to reach him. He came down to you. You don't have to build a ziggurat to him. He came down and templed among us. This is how salvation works. God comes to us. We don't come to him. That's what happens here every Sunday morning in worship. God is coming down to us. He is meeting with us. We don't have to try to ascend to him. This is what will happen at the end of time. If you die now... As Brian Norberg passes, his soul will depart and be with God. His body will be put in a grave. And at the end of time, God brings his city down here and remakes this earth, and we rise and live with him here. God is constantly coming down to us. He's constantly stooping to us. He's that kind of God. He's not a God who cares about his reputation, apparently. This this is what people hated Jesus for. He was too common he was too blue collar he wasn't sophisticated enough he ate with sinners he wore common man's dress he didn't require them to call him by highfalutin names he wasn't significant enough he could give a rip what other people thought about him and that's what our God does that's what he's like he comes and dwells among us Isn't that getting you ready for heaven? Don't you want to be with a God like that? Isn't he safe in that way? You know what he's all about. He's all about his glory. You don't have to guess. And his glory is hinging on our salvation. I was going to talk next about unity, but I decided this morning driving here, actually, that one of the Reality is I started in the beginning is man's word versus God's word. And when I was in seminary, one of my closest friends' name was Reed. Reed was a missionary. Um, he was a missionary in Uganda, and Muslims attacked the area he was in, and he went to slam his door. It was he and his wife, I don't know if they had kids yet then. Did they have I don't think she what was her daughter's name? You remember? You don't remember, I don't remember either. Anyways, he was slamming the door to keep his wife and his other missionary compadres safe, and they shot through the door and basically blew off his shoulder. This is Reed. Uh, Because of that, he he couldn't be on the mission field, so he was in seminary with me at the same time and also working at the seminary, and he and I became close friends. And one day we were talking, his last name was Satterfield, and he said, very disgusted, that he comes from a long line of big talkers. So here's this missionary guy who lost his shoulder, one of the most godly men I know, and he's disgusted by how big of a talker he is, by how boastful he is. It, it hit me. We see, we see that here, the boasting of man. Notice how excitedly they talk. Come, let us make bricks. Come, let us build for ourselves a city. In James, uh, chapter three, verse five, it says, "A tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things, and can set the world on fire." Um. And and yet, nothing that these people boast about actually takes place. It's all big talk. They can't follow through on it. And then God comes. And God speaks. And exactly what God says happens. We see this throughout the Bible. God speaks in creation, and it happens. God tells of a flood, and it happens. God promises not to flood the world again. And here in chapter 11, they deserve that kind of judgment, and He doesn't do it. God's word can be trusted. Now, we could apply this to us very simply by we should say things that are trustworthy. We should be careful of our boasting. The people around us should be able to trust our words. This, our reputation should be built on slow to speak. We're not boasters. We're not big talkers. People can trust our words. We, we could do that, but I'd rather have us focus on the application of God's word. If we were to page out the Bible God's word, let's say in Psalm 19. God's word is perfect. God's word is sure. God's word makes us right. God's word rejoices the heart. God's word is pure. God's word is clean. God's word endures forever. God's word is true and righteous. God's word is more to be desired than gold, even fine gold. God's word is sure. We see it here. God's word, we make all these plans. We say we're going to do this or that, but what God says is actually what happens. So there's an application here of God's people coming to love God's word. One of my, one of the things. Uh, the elders and I are working on, as we're discovering, as we work with people, and we work with people a lot, one-on-one, is that people in our church are not reading the Bible as frequently as we desire, as is as good for them. We rely so much on our feelings, on our internal conversations with ourselves, and God's people just aren't in God's Word as, as we need to be. So when we start Neighborhood Small Groups, for the first six sessions, we're going to focus on God's Word, what it is. Try to make it very applicable to how you can actually, in your daily life, read it. How you can read it among a family. Because God's Word is sure. It's eternal. We're like grass that withers. We're like flowers that fades. But God's Word endures forever. So we want to strongly encourage you to turn from our own boasting, turn from our own internal conversations, turn from our listening to our feelings and become people who love God's Word, who rejoice in it, who rejoice in it. All right, lastly, we see here in Genesis 11 all the peoples dispersed. So as Pastor Jeff said, God had asked, told them to fill the earth, to disperse, to subdue the entire earth. They didn't, they came together in one little city and and tried to build their own kingdom. But God dispersed them, didn't he? God's will is always going to be accomplished. It's kind of like what they say in the movies. The cops say, you can make this easy or it can be tough. But we, because of the fall, are constantly making it harder on ourselves than we need to. This reminds us of the book of Acts. Jesus, after he rose, said, Go, therefore disperse make disciples of all nations so when he rose and then he ascended what did all of the followers of Jesus do they huddled they were afraid they they did the holy huddle christian thing they all came together they didn't want to go out they were afraid they they were afraid of the world, they were supposed to go out and proclaim the message of salvation to the world, save the world. But they were afraid of it. And what did God do? What did God do? He brought persecution, severe persecution. And what did all of those followers of Jesus huddled up do? They dispersed. And we read in Acts that everywhere they went, they proclaimed the word of God. <laughs> right? You see what God does. He's always going to do it. He's always going to do it. So the message of the Bible from beginning to end is God saving the world through his people, through ordinary people like you and I. He is doing what they tried to do in Babel, but doing it right, doing it on his terms, using us, making his name great by sending us out to proclaim the gospel that saves sinners. All of you are here because of this. All of you are here because a faithful parent or Sunday school teacher or a co-worker was used by God to proclaim the saving gospel and bring you to Him. Every one of you. And and this is what we're to be about. We have no lasting city here. We don't care of our reputation here. The one thing that we're here for is to see men and women beginning with our children, saved eternally and welcomed into the city of God by faith. That's it. That's what our lives are to be about. That's what your life, my life, the lives of our children, that's why we exist. We are here for this great mission of God to proclaim this gospel among all nations so that the end might come. But what do you live for? What's What are you living for? For your reputation, for your comfort. What are you using your money for? What are you using your time for? There are, right now, thousands of language groups around the world that have never heard the name of Jesus once at all. Most of our missionary force being sent out are, forced, are focused on those areas that already have the gospel, that already have a church. And there are languages that God cares about that he started here in Genesis 11 that the, at the end will be with him in kingdom, but only when we go and preach the gospel. That's what we're for. Because we're looking for a city to come. We have no contentment here in this city. This starts in small ways. I'm not saying all of you are going to be called to go and preach the gospel to some place, somewhere else. But as a businessman, are you doing your business in light of the city to come? As a Awana worker, as a friend, as a parent, what are we Doing those things for. We are looking for a city to come, and that begins by in the morning getting up and reading your Bible. That's the kind of warfare we're warring with. We come to church and sing songs. This is the kind of warfare, God. It's very ordinary. It's very ordinary, and and, and it's ordinary because God is absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> He uses little things, little people, little places, doing the faithful things to build his kingdom. So, what can you do? Pray. Show hospitality to those who are different than you. Give faithfully. Tend a neighborhood small group to encourage somebody else. Raise your children to fear God. Teach them the word. Be faithful at work. Work hard. That's what we do. Because we're looking for a city to come. And and you know what will happen in the end, right? Because you can trust God's word, it'll come. That's the end. God's word is absolutely true. He will come. He will come. And you will dwell seeing his glory forever. That's the end. You beholding, you beholding God's glory. He will come. The city will come That's our hope. Let's pray. God, you taught us at the end of your word to pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Make that uh, true, not only coming out of our lips, but from our hearts. That we would have no city here, but seek the city that is to come. And so, God, we, we cannot do this apart from your grace. You must lead us. And so lead on, O King Eternal. Lead on. May we not care for reputation here. May we not care to make a name for ourselves. May we not listen to our own feelings or voice, but to your word, because we seek a city to come. And so God, grant us faith for that day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.